0: Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Hemming Brainiac podcast. Talking about Book 2, Chapter 27. Tis a very slow game, this letter wooing. Letter wooing. Have you ever indulged in letter wooing? It reminds me of, um... It reminds me of a bit of when a guy will be friends with a, a girl who's in a relationship for several years kind of just waiting you know doing what they call groundwork waiting for them to be single and then they'll be the first shoulder to cry on we've all seen it happen um that's what i'm feeling here it's like a very slow and innocent game i'm just a good friend just checking in how you going uh it's quite transparent Swims to the moment, Fishy, said the epigram. This quote cannot be found or imagined in Fenelon's work. With that said, I heartily agree with the sentiment. It amazes me how much work, a work environment, resembles middle school or junior school and high school. For those who may be interested about telemark. I can't even remember the epigram. I might go back and reread it. Um, services rendered. Abilities, merit, bar. Join a coterie. I don't know what that even means. Altreat said, yes, I like the epigraph for this chapter as well. It fits great with the chapter, and as you say, many people continue to operate in a junior high, high school sort of paradigm, especially in certain industries or places. It's all about who you know. Swim said the moment also said, after having driven way too many long distances through never changing geography, thinking of portions of West Texas, I find this letter wooing, is exactly like that. <laughs> uh, my favourite line, it had not taken him long to understand that to keep Madame de from, for Vox, sorry, <laughs> from thinking him vulgar, it was necessary above all other things to avoid simple rational ideas. Um, so it's like boring you with long, unchanging scenery in the hopes that eventually you'll kind of be won over and then be... Um, You'll be willing to accept some kind of a pleasant surprise, you know. You know, after a long time of looking at fields, when you see the world's greatest ball of yarn, you're like, ooh, giant ball of yarn, how entertaining. Maybe something like that. Our Treat said, "'Tis a very slow game, this letter wooing.' This made me laugh, indeed. Yes, it is. Julian is committed committed to his mind games, I guess." I quite like how his mind games are like literally recycled from a sort of mentor in the art of mind games He's, he's just copying the letters out. Um, I think that's really quite funny and very Julian you know he's so insincere in his quests in his um, his conquests, I suppose with women um, so insincere that he'll just copy some letters from someone else's uh, courtship and just use them as his own. He's fine with that. Chapter 28 says, Manon Lescour is the name of the chapter. Don't know what that means. It's in the wrong language. And it goes like this. Now, once he was properly convinced of the prior's foolishness and asininity, he succeeded pretty well in calling white black and black white Lichtenberg. The Russian instructions imperiously laid down that in conversation one should never contradict the object of one's correspondence. One should never, under any pretext, depart from a stance of the most ecstatic admiration. The letters always proceeded on this assumption. One evening in Madame de Favac's box at the Opera Julian was extravagantly praising the ballet in Manon Les His only reason for doing so was that he found it trivial. The Marchal Replied that the ballet was very inferior to the Abe Prevost's novel. What thought Julian, astonished and amused, a lady of such lofty virtue praising a novel? Two or three times a week, Madame de Fervax professed the most comprehensive scorn for those writers who, with their insipid works, try to corrupt a younger generation, only to prone, only too prone, alas, to sensual backslidings. In this immoral and dangerous genre, the Maréchal went on, Menon on Corps occupies, so it is said, one of the highest places. The faults and richly deserved sufferings of a deeply criminal person are there depicted, it is said, with a truth that has a touch of profundity, which did not prevent your young Bonaparte on St. Helena from pronouncing it to be a book written for lackeys. This speech gave Julian back all his mental alertness. Somehow, someone, sorry, has been trying to sink me with the Maréchal. They have told her of my enthusiasm for Napoleon. That has piqued her enough for her to yield to the temptation of letting me know it. This discovery amused him for the whole evening, and it made him amusing. As he was parting from the Maréchal in the vestibule of the opera, remember Monsieur, said she to him, that it won't do to admire Bonaparte when one admires me, one may at best accept him as a necessity impose on us by Providence. In any case, that man had insufficiently subtlety sorry, had insufficient subtlety of soul to appreciate a masterpiece. When one admires me, reiterated Julian to himself, that's saying nothing, or saying everything. Here is one of those mysteries of language to which we poor provincials are deaf and his thoughts were suffused with Madame de Renal as he copied out an interminable letter destined for the Maréchal. "'How is it?' she asked him the next day with an air of indifference, he thought poorly acted, "'that you talk to me of London and Richmond "'In the letter you wrote to me last evening, it seems, after leaving the opera.' "'Julian was very embarrassed.' He had copied line by line without thinking of what he wrote and had apparently forgotten to substitute Paris and St. Claude for London and Richmond in the original. He ventured on two or three remarks in answer, but saw he had no chance of finishing them. He felt himself about to give way to wild laughter. Finally, as he searched for something to say, he evolved the following in the exultation, exultation whilst writing to you of discussing the most sublime the greatest considerations of the human spirit, my own soul, may well have become distraught. I'm making an impression, he said to himself, so I can spare myself the tedium of the rest of the evening. He left the Hotel de Pivaux at a run. Later that evening, looking again at the letter he had copied yesterday, he quickly found the fatal passage where the young Russian wrote of London and of Richmond. Julian was much surprised to find the letter almost tender in tone. It was the contrast between the seeming lightness of his conversation and the sublime and almost apoc- apocalyptic profundity of his letters that was so noticeable. The marechal was pleased, most of all, by the length of his sentences. This isn't the abrupt manner made fashionable by Voltaire, that extraordinarily immoral man. Even though our hero did everything possible to rid his conversations of any kind of good sense. It had an anti-monarchical and sceptical flavour that did not escape Madame de Favax. Surrounded by personages of impeccable morality, but who often did not produce a single thought, the whole evening this lady was deeply impressed by anything with an air of novelty, but at the same time she felt in her duty to be offended by it. She called this failing... Excuse me... She called this failing being alert to the signs of the frivolity of the times. But visiting such salons is only any good when one has something to solicit from them. The total boredom of the life led by Julian without real interests will no doubt be shared by the reader. These are the flat lands of our journey. Throughout the time you served in Julian's life by this Fervax episode, Mademoiselle de la Mole needed great self-control to think, not to think, about him. Her soul became victim to violent struggles. Sometimes she flattered herself that she despised the melancholy young man. But his conversation captivated her in spite of herself. What amazed her above all was its perfect falsity. He said not a word to that, to the Maréchal, that was not a lie, or at least an abominable travesty of his way of thinking, which on almost all subjects Matilda knew intimately. This Machiavellian Machiavellianism. This Machiavellianism impressed her. What profundity! She said to herself, "What contrast to the windy idiots who common or common scoundrels like Monsieur Tambo, who hold forth in exactly the same language." Nevertheless, Julien had some terrible times. It was only to perform the most painful duties that he made his daily appearance in the Marchal's salon. His efforts to play his part ended in his voiding his soul of all energy. Often at night, and as he crossed the immense courtyard of the Hotel de Fervax, it was by sheer force of character and intellectual power alone that he managed to keep himself from sinking into despair. I vanquished despair in this seminary, he told himself, and yet what an awful prospect faced me then. I was to make or fail or make my fortune. I was to make, or fail to make, my fortune. But in either case, I saw myself obliged to pass my whole life in intimate contact with the most despicable and revolting people in the world. The following spring, eleven short months later, I was perhaps the happiest young man of of my time. But, confronted by the terrible reality, these brave arguments were all too often without effect. Each day he saw Matilda at lunch and at dinner, from numerous letters dictated to him by Madame Mon, sorry, by Monsieur de la Mole, he knew her to be on the point of marriage with Monsieur de Crusnois. Already this amiable young man appeared twice every day at the Hotel de la Mole, the jealous eye of a discarded lover missed not a single one of these moments, movements. On getting back to his room, after he thought he had seen Mademoiselle de la Mole, treated her admirer affectionately, Julian was unable to prevent himself from directing a loving look at his pocket pistols. Ah, how much more sensible I would be, he said to himself, to wash the marks off my linen and go into some lonely forest twenty leagues from Paris and put an end to this execrable existence. As I am a stranger in that district, my death would remain hidden for a fortnight, and who would think of me for after a fortnight? This reasoning was very wise, but the next day... Matilda's arm, glimpsed between her sleeve and her glove, sufficed to plunge our youthful philosopher into cruel memories that none the less bound him to life. Very well, then, he said to himself, I will follow the Russian policy to its end, but how can it end? As regards the marechale, certainly, after having copied these fifty three letters, I shall not compose any more for her. As regards Matilda, six weeks of this too painful comedy will either make no difference at all to her anger, all earn me a moment of reconciliation. Great God, I'll die of happiness. And he could not finish his train of thought. When, after a long reverie, he managed to return to his argument, so, he said to himself, I will obtain a single day of happiness, after which her harshness will start again, based, alas, on the slightness of my power to please her, and I will have no resource left. Me, I will be ruined, lost forever. What guarantees, considering her character, could she give me? Alas, the slightest of my merit explains everything. My manners will still lack elegance. My tones and voice will continue to be dull and monotonous. Great God, why am I me? All right, there we go. A little chapter for you. Little chapter? I suppose it was a little chapter. Um, Another chapter is what I meant to say. Um, Done. Done Donezo. Have your say about that one over on the subreddit, on the little old subreddit. And I'll see you a little bit tomorrow a little.